History says that Peter and Paul may have died under the reign of Nero. Not by Nero, but they died during that time. So you can imagine, if you had been a follower of Christ, and you knew about Peter, and you knew about Paul, and then you hear that these guys had died, what hope do you have as a Christian? And so Peter writes this book during the reign of Nero, and, 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 and it gets to Christians really right after the reign of Nero is when, when they start to really embrace it and understand it. Have you known anything about the Roman Empire? It continues to get worse. And for a next couple of hundred years, to call yourself a Christian meant you were probably going to lose your life. So here's a question. If you're trying to write to a group of believers like that and encourage them, what do you say? And that's the challenge of Peter. So over and over again, you're going to hear him trying to encourage people that, listen, it's okay to live for God during difficult times. Now, when we get to this passage this morning, you should know that uh, there is a lot to be said. Some of you were brought up in churches in which, how many of you were brought up in a church in which you said the Apostles' Creed? Okay, wow, really? That many of you? Cool. Uh, In the Apostles' Creed, there is a phrase that says, Christ descended into hell. Okay, you know what I'm talking about? And preached. Okay, that is found, that, is, that, that, that part of the Apostles' Creed is sourced in this verse. Right? So you need to understand that, that, that that's part of, uh, uh, of that come, this verse, that this verse brings that idea to concept. John Feinberg had two observations about these passages. He said, number one, there is not, there is not unanimity on this passage. Basically what he's saying is nobody's unanimous on what this thing means. Secondly, he said, you can hold any number of positions and not be on the fringe. (laughs) This thing is incredibly difficult to work through. Someone said, this is like pin the tail on the donkey. You're blindfolded, you have a sharp object in your hand, and you're just hoping you don't hit anybody. Uh, One guy said it this way. He said, he who is without his favorite interpretation... Cast the first stone. Okay? Because you can go anywhere with this thing this morning. So I kind of want to lay that out. Now, let me give you a little bit of a caveat. When I was working on my master's degree, I had a a class in what's called advanced hermeneutics. Advanced hermeneutics is how we interpret and understand the Bible. So me being me, decided, if you're going to take a class on advanced hermeneutics, and you really want to find out if you know what you're doing, what verse in the Bible would you tackle? So I went right for the first two verses that we're going to look at this morning. So what it entailed in my... So I have a 35-page paper written on this, looking at over 37 different commentaries, putting out what each one of them believed in a chart form. For those of you that have trouble with insomnia and you've been to see a doctor, I'll give you the, I'll give you the paper... You'll be to sleep in four minutes and four pages or less. Uh, so if you struggle there, I can help you. I say that to say that it, there's, a lot, there's a lot about this thing, and it's easy to get into the head thing. So uh, let's understand that as we go into it. You've heard me say this over and over again. You'll always hear me say this. Context is everything. It is very important that you always remember context. Let me illustrate. I saw something on Facebook this week that I thought illustrates this the easiest. So... Throw up that slide. This is a sign on a business in Florida. 
We would rather do business with a thousand al-Qaeda terrorists than one single American soldier. Now take that down real quick. How do you feel about that? Should anybody say that? Remember what I said? Context is everything. You want to know where that sign is? It's on the door to an office of a funeral home. Now, now do you agree with that? Yeah. Why? Because context is everything. And what happens a lot of times for us is we see something and we pull it out of context. Context is everything. So in the Bible, anytime you read something, make sure you know the context. The, 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 the narrower picture and the bigger picture. This book, we've been talking about it for eight messages now, is about encouraging people during difficult times. It's about how you handle suffering. In the verses we look at this morning, here's what you're going to see. It's going to start with the idea that Jesus dies on the cross and suffers. And it's going to end with the idea that Jesus now reigns in glory, power, and dominion. Those are the parentheses around the whole passage. Okay? So, with that in mind, now that you've probably thoroughly confused, let me read the passage. I'm going to read going into it, first of all, which we've already talked about. We've already preached on this last couple of weeks. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? Um, but even if you should suffer for what's right, you're blessed. Don't fear what they fear. Don't be frightened. In your heart, set Christ apart as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you. But do it with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It's better, if it's God's will, to suffer for doing good than evil. We've talked about this for the last couple of weeks. Now, that's the, that's the idea, and listen to what the next section deals with. Because he's going to deal with two issues today. First of all, this whole spirit preaching thing, and then he's going to deal with baptism and salvation. So we're going to detect the first one. Here's what he says. For Christ died for your sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. But he was put to death in the body and was made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago where God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight and all, were saved through the water. And this water, now he's going to go into the second phrase, and this water symbolizes baptism that now also saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, powers, and submission to him. All right? So, here's the context. The context is it starts, Christ died for your sins, right? It ends with, God's at the right hand with angels, authorities, and powers. So let's understand, that's our parentheses for this thing. Now, let's talk about the first thing. He was put to death in a body made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Okay, first of all, we've got to ask ourselves, who went? What did he preach? Where are the spirits in prison? Who are they that disobeyed long ago? And now we also got to deal with the people that waited patiently in the days of Noah and the eight people that were saved, through water, and water is baptism, and it's not the removal of dirt, but it's a good conscience. So, tell me what you believe. You see the problem? So, 
Let's tackle it, let's walk through it, and let's try to understand it, and most importantly, let's apply it. So, when you look at this passage, let me tell you how this all scopes itself out. First thing you have to decide is who preached. There are about three or four, three or four answers. Some people believe it's Enoch. You go into the story of the Old Testament, you can see that. Some people believe it's apostles. Some people believe it's Christ who preached through Noah. Then you have to ask yourself, where did he preach? Some people say he actually went to hell and preached. Some people say he preached, this is Noah preaching in his day. You have to ask yourself, when did he preach? Did he preach during Noah's day? Did he preach during the three days that Jesus was in the tomb? Did he preach after the resurrection or did he preach after the ascension? Then you have to ask yourself, to whom did he preach? You have six choices, actually seven. First of all, did he preach to the angelic world, which some people say it's fallen angels, some people say it's sons of God, some people say it's unbelievers. Or did he preach to people? Some people say it's righteous, some people say it's unbelievers, some people say it's believers after the flood, or some people say a combination of all of those. Then you have to ask yourself, what did he preach? If he preached to the angelic world, he either announced victory or he preached condemnation. If he preached to people, he either announced good tidings or condemnation. And here's the thing. You can put this on a chart, and this is, this is no exaggeration. Here's what it's like. It's like, ee, 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 and, they, and a lot of them all fit no matter what you choose. So when you get to this, it's like, what in the world? Okay? I, have, I, I actually went through 37 different commentaries and figured out where each commentator was on every one of these issues. Okay? To try to figure out what's the general consensus and teaching of all this. Remember I said context is important. Peter 16 times talks about suffering. 20 times he talks about the glory of God. 8 times he talks about God's grace. Over and over again. Peter encourages these people to not be afraid or ashamed, but to stand up and give an account no matter what the cost. Here's my idea. Here's what I believe about this passage. After doing all of that and, and working through it all, here's what I believe. I think what Peter is saying here is this. Remember, he's trying to encourage these people. And what he's saying to them is this. Guys, Noah preached for 120 years. And he suffered for 120 years while he tried to preach and get people to listen to his message. In the end, only eight people responded. And he's trying to say to these people, now, everyone else, that criticized Noah for 120 years is in prison. But Noah is with God. Noah, God honored Noah's faithfulness. God honored Noah. And he's trying to tell these people, look, because again, prison was a real thing in the mind of these believers. They had watched their friends get hauled off to prison. And Peter's trying to say to them, look, Noah was faithful for 120 years preaching and doing what God wanted him to do, and now the people who criticized him are in prison, and Noah is not. Keep it in perspective, guys. Don't get looking at prison and all that you're suffering and saying, oh, it's not worth it. Because Peter's trying to say to these people, 
It is. And you have to understand, Noah, to these people, was huge. He was a big guy in a Jewish world. I mean, he was right up there with Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David. I mean, he's like one of the big ten. And Noah was one of those guys. And so I think what Peter's trying to do is he's saying, look, God waited patiently in the days of Noah. God was trying to reach as many people as he could, but in order to do that, it meant Noah had to suffer for 120 years. Noah had to struggle for 120 years. Because God was trying to reach a whole world, but they all rejected him, and in the end, only eight people followed Noah. And now all of those that ridiculed him and persecuted him and made fun of him and did all the things against him, guess what? Now they're in prison, talking about hell. They're in prison, and Noah, God honored him and rewarded him. And he's not. I think that's the first idea that he's saying. Now, we get into the whole baptism salvation thing. Okay? And there are some people that look at this thing and they go, okay, um, in it, here's what he says, only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. Now, what's the next phrase? Help me out here. And water, what? Symbolizes. symbolizes. It doesn't say water is salvation. It says water symbolizes salvation. So let's talk about symbols for a minute. This is what? A wedding ring. This happens to be my third wedding ring. Huh? Exactly, yeah. Same woman, third wedding ring. This ring, here's what happened. I made a commitment before a group of people. My wife put this ring on my finger. Well, not this ring, but three rings before this. Put this on my finger. Yeah, one's in a, okay, all of them I lost doing stuff with teenagers. So one's in a mud pit in Wisconsin, the first one, the original one. The other one is in a lake somewhere in Iowa playing water frisbee with a bunch of teenagers. And I've hung on to this one so far, although it's not round anymore. But this is my ring, and it symbolizes my wedding. So when people look at me and they see this on my left hand, what do they assume? Okay, but let's understand that what happens if I don't wear it? Why am I still married? It's a symbol of a commitment. I know people that they had their ring put on when they got married, and they don't, guys, they're farmers or whatever else, or for whatever reason, they don't wear rings. Does that mean they're not married? No. Why? The ring is a symbol. What happens if I decide that it's too small and I wear it on my pinky? It's like a pinky ring. Oh, man, I'm not even going there. But it's like a pinky ring now, okay? Am I still married? Why? The ring is a symbol. It does not mean, it is not my marriage. If it was, I'm on my third. No, it's a symbol of my marriage. And this is what he said. Baptism is a symbol of what God's done. It is not what God has done. Now, some of you are from churches or backgrounds in which you're taught this is salvation. And people looked at this passage and say, you see, it says you're saved through baptism. No, the water symbolizes baptism now saves you. And by the way, what's saved? Who's he talking about? Who's this whole thing talking about? Context. Huh? No, no, no. What's the story? 
Noah. Was Noah saved by the water? No. Noah was saved by the ark and saved by his faith in building the ark. The water didn't save him. In fact, the water, and this is a key, because this is how the Jewish mind would have thought. The water was a symbol of judgment. The water took a cursed world and wiped it clean. The water judged the world. The water was a judgment that wiped it all out so God could start over. So in a Jewish mind, that's how they thought. Now, the thing is, they associated the whole event not with the ark, but with the flood. You know, you don't say, let me tell you the story of the ark. Say, no, let me tell you the story of the flood and Noah's ark. And that's in a Jewish mind, the flood was associated with that judgment thing. By the way, it's a recurring theme throughout the Bible. Jonah, water symbolizes what? Noah's, or Jonah's judgment. Christ, by the way, talks about his suffering. You know what term he uses in the New Testament? Baptism. It was a symbol of the idea that it was a, it was a way to say, my sin has been judged, and I now start my life new. So in this, and in this context, you need to understand, let me explain baptism in the first century. Baptism in the first century was a very serious thing. You know, in, in our modern-day American culture, a lot of times like, well, if you want to join a church, go get baptized. In some religions, some faith traditions, it's the idea that baptism is salvation. In the New Testament time, and I'm even going to show you in this passage, in the New Testament time, baptism was something that followed salvation. But often, it was such a statement for somebody that it happened as close to salvation as possible because it was such a big deal. In, 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 the, in the early church, baptism, and, and by the way, we have some extra biblical literature. Uh, we have a thing called the Didache, which was a, a, a manual, if you will, of how to run a church in first century. And that actually gives us some ideas and shows us how serious baptism is. But in first century, let me give you some ideas. Baptism was something that was incredibly serious. If you wanted to be baptized, you would actually sit down and they would quiz you. It was actually a test that they would give you to find out. They would ask you a ton of questions. They wanted to know whether or not you were a devout follower of Jesus Christ. Because remember, in this culture, think about it for a minute. In this culture, if we bring you into our group and you're not genuinely one of us, then guess what? You can hurt the testimony of our group. And if you were a spy trying to come into our group, you could hurt us. So we wanted to be very, very careful about the people that we let in were serious about following Jesus. In this culture, whenever you did made a serious commitment, so let's say you were going to buy a house in this culture, here's what would happen. You would buy a house, you would get ready to sign the documents, and at the end, here's what they would do. You would make what was called a pledge. And they would sit down to you, and here's what they would ask you. They would say, let me get this right, do you pledge to obey and fulfill the terms of this commitment? So you're getting ready to sign for your house, and before you sign it, they look at you and say, do you pledge to follow and obey the terms of this commitment? The only acceptable answer was, yes, I do. 
then you can sign. If the answer was no, if the answer was, I need to think about it, forget it. It doesn't happen. It was a pledge. It was a promise. It was a commitment. And that we're very, very serious about that. When they got ready to be baptized, guess what one of the questions they asked was? Do you pledge to obey and fulfill the terms of your commitment to Christ? Yes, I do. When you got baptized in this culture, guess what? People didn't, it cost you. People would stop doing business with you. Friends would not invite you over anymore. Families sometimes would disown you. The people that you had been brought up with around your religious tradition wanted nothing to do with you anymore. Your business, think about it for a minute. If you've got a business and you've got a shop and you're selling, over here is my shelf of Roman statues to the Roman gods. And over here is my statue to all the, my shelf for the pagan gods. And then I've got, of course I'm an equal opportunity uh, salesperson, shop, so I've got the Christian here, I've got all the gods everywhere, but I become a Christian. Now what happens to my shop? Do you know that we know that in first century actually there were certain little signs that they would put at each shop so you actually knew if it was a Roman shop, a Jewish shop, a Christian shop, whatever. Think about it for a minute. If you if you know anything about the Jewish faith and the Jewish tradition, if I walk up to a house and it has a mezuzah on the door, guess what I know? There's a Jewish person that lives there. It was the same thing back then. So if you walk in, for instance, for me, if I walk into a Christian bookstore, and, or if I walk into a bookstore, or a, a, an auto, let's do this easier. I walk into an auto shop, and there's a cross hanging on it behind the, the cash register deal, a big cross, and there's no one on that cross. I know that's probably a Protestant shop. If Jesus is hanging on that cross, I know it's probably a Roman Catholic shop. If the Star of David is there, I know that it's probably a Jewish shop. If there's a swastika there, I'm out. <laughs> Why? Because I know certain things are associated. I can make some assumptions. It was the same way back then. So when you called yourself a believer or Christian, it cost you. Why? Because you had made that commitment before a group of people and demonstrated your salvation and said, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And often when they got baptized, by the way, one of the things they did, they gave them a different set of clothes to wear, to identify them. Why? Because you want to be known with this group. Because often what was going to happen is the world as you knew it was going to exclude you, and the only people you had were your Christian brothers and sisters. And that's why when you get to the book of Acts, it says they shared what they had because many people lost their jobs because they called themselves up. And again, and Rome doesn't like you, the pagans don't like you, the Jewish people don't like you. <sighs> Who else have you got? Nothing but this group of believers. And so they wanted to be very careful about who they brought in. So baptism was a serious thing for them. One of the things that Peter says here is, notice this. He says, this water symbolizes baptism and now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the body. He says, hey, hey, wait, wait, wait. don't get the idea that it has to do with the water thing. He makes that clear. But notice what he goes on to say. But the pledge of a good conscience towards God. Your commitment's what saved you. You were baptized as a symbol of that commitment. 
you pledged that you were going to follow Christ, don't bail on Him now. And He goes on to say it this way. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, if, if we were saved by water, it would say it saves you by the water. No, we're saved by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to Him. They're under the oppression of Rome. And Peter says, let me tell you who's really in charge. God's sitting on the throne today. And everybody is subject to him. And so Peter tries to encourage these people. So I think what he does here in this passage, he does two things. Peter says, look, let me remind you of a couple of things, guys. Jesus suffered. Now he reigns. You talk about how great Noah was, but you forget that Noah suffered for 120 years. And I want to remind you that Noah paid a price to be saved, and Noah paid a price to follow God. Don't be ashamed, don't be afraid to pay the same kind of price. And don't forget, you made a commitment. You made a pledge that you were pledging your lives to follow Jesus. Don't bail on him now. And he writes that as an encouragement to you, because in the end, God's still on the throne, and God will honor you. So, now, we've gone through that. Here we go, application, which is where I want to get anyway. Folks, let's remember this. God wants to reach everyone. Because God wants to reach everyone, guess what? Noah, as an example, for 120 years, suffered. And, and let's not minimize Noah's deal. Let's really think about it for a second. You get up every day and you look at your family of eight people and you go, guess what we're going to do today? We're going to go build a boat. Really, Dad, that's what we've done for the last three years. Oh, I know, but one day God's going to send a flood. Okay, Dad, what's on your agenda? Well, I need that tree over there trimmed up. Get it brought down. Let's get it all, let's get it all squared up. Because we need another piece of lumber. Dad, less is more. Can we make like a smaller boat? No, 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 no. These are God's dimensions. And every single day for 120 years, you had to motivate your children to do the same thing that they did for the last 119 years. And by the way, all of your friends and neighbors think you're just a wonderful guy. No, I'm sure by the time he got done, I'm sure like Friday night was the let's go make fun of Noah night. Some guy's got something set up where he's selling drinks or he's selling meal and you can like eat and watch Noah and, and make snide comments. It's kind of like a perpetual uh, Muppet. You know the two guys in the balcony? They're always my favorite guys. It's like a perpetual two guys in a balcony for 120 years. And every single day, you get up and do the same thing over and over again. And you're wondering, God, what in the world am I doing? And Noah plugged away for 120 years. But you see, God was being patient with the people in that day. God was trying to reach the people in that day. God wanted to put a whole lot more people in that boat rather than eight. But all those people persecuted him and made fun of him and mocked him. 
And Noah kept plugging away day after day after day. Why? Because he wanted to follow God. Listen, God is going to be patient with people. And what that means is, if God wants to reach the people in your office, somebody who's a Christ follower in your office is going to have to suffer so that person sees how a Christian responds to difficult times. Everybody responds when it's great. So all of a sudden, the boss or whoever it is starts getting on your case. That person's sitting over there watching going, eh, wonder how they're going to respond when they're mistreated. You have an opportunity to be a light in a dark world. And you have an opportunity to stand out for Christ. But it means, like Noah, you're going to have to pay a price for that. And Peter's trying to say to his people, that's okay. If you suffer for doing good, that's okay. God's honored with that. Hang in there. Don't quit. It also means this idea, this concept, I guess, that you know what? You're going to get opposition. And we're in a world which we like everything easy. I mean, think about it. We, we, what's the last time when you said, I want to sign up for something that's hard? No, we're not in a world that wants it harder. We're in a world that wants it easier, quicker, faster, less painful, less recovery, less everything. Why? Because we just, we're moving so fast. And, and we're going to get opposition, and that's okay. It's okay if you're getting opposition. If you're getting opposition because you're a goofball, then don't be a goofball. But if you're getting opposition because you're trying to honor God by doing the right thing, then you know what? Then let the opposition come. And, Mo, or, and Peter here reminds the people, guess what? All those people that made fun of Noah, they're paying for it now. And make no mistake about it, folks. Can you imagine if you're Noah and his family, and all of a sudden it, God says it's time, and you look out, and you start seeing animals line up? And it's like, Wow. God must be ready to do something. You read the story very carefully. Then what happens? They shut the door. And by the way, it's not like they shut the door and it starts raining. They shut the door and they wait. Now, can you imagine you're sitting in a boat going, you know, I need like a little fresh air. And you go out on the deck and you look and there's nothing going on. and And then all of a sudden it starts to rain. Make no mistake, don't miss this, because I believe genuinely this is exactly how it happened. And all of a sudden, you start hearing this on the door. But by the way, the text is very clear. God shut the door. Noah couldn't have opened it if he wanted to, because I think Noah would have wanted to. Because those were his friends, those were his neighbors, those were people he cared about and preached to for 120 years. But God said, that door ain't opening. And then as all of a sudden the water started to rise and that boat started to float and you decide to run out and get a little fresh air in the rain and you watch the bodies, the bloated bodies of your friends and neighbors and relatives floating by. And the animals, everything else. Noah wasn't so dumb anymore. All of a sudden Noah's faithfulness paid off. And God honored him and saved his family because of that. And Peter's writing to these people, and he's saying the same thing to them, and he'd say the same thing to us today. 
your faithfulness to God will pay off. And some of you, you're going through horrendous things right now. Financially, emotionally, family-wise, health-wise. You've got all kinds of things that have come into your world that you didn't like and you didn't want. And you're wondering, why? when is it going to get easier? When is it going to be over? I can't answer that. I don't know if it will ever get easier. And I don't know if it will ever quit in your lifetime. If, if Peter could have written that to these people, that's what he would have told them. But he's not there to tell them that. He's there to tell them that you have made a commitment to Christ, and you have followed Jesus, and you stick with it all the way to the end, even if it costs you your life, even if they take you into the arena, even if your family and children are with you when you go into the arena, or in some cases, I'm not trying to be flippant, I'm trying to tell you, you need to read books like Fox's Book of Martyrs and understand what people have endured for the cause of Christ over the years. And there are times that they would take a husband and they would stand him right there and they would start bring up his children and start slaughtering them in front of him until he recanted. And they would take his wife and they would take his entire family until he renounced Jesus Christ. And Peter's writing to people those kinds of things were happening. And Peter's writing to those kind of people and saying, you stick with Christ no matter what. Because in the end, God will honor it. And I would say whatever you're going through this morning, whatever has come into your world, whatever burden it is you're carrying, I, I, I don't want to minimize it at all, but what I want to say is don't give up. Don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. Continue to serve and follow God with your whole heart. And if you suffer for doing that which is right, it's okay. Because in the end, when you take your last breath, God makes it all right. He makes it all right. And he tells these people this as a reminder. So this week, may we each be encouraged to stay strong. Peter wrote the book because people were losing their lives because they claimed the name of Christ. He writes to them to say, in the end, it will be okay. And I remind each of us this morning, it will be okay. Don't waver in your commitment to do that which is right. Let's pray. Lord, help us.